Appreciate that all. Boy, God is good, isn't he? Just thinking about that, just thinking about all that he's, he's done. And, uh, you know, one of the joys that I've had is uh, this past year is just to, to get to know more about our church. And, you know, invariably as you, you talk, you, you start in, in the history of a place, you start to, to talk about people. And if you notice there, there's some canvases around the property, just some, some photos of the past, and you might recognize some people there who are still here. And uh, we're glad for that. And uh, I know that um, from day, day dot, uh, Brother Dennis Gonett was here. Uh, not too long after that, Mrs. Annette Burke and others who've, uh, who've been here, Mrs. Blake, and others who've just uh, just laboured in this place for for many many years, and uh, I don't know quite yet when everyone came onto the scene. I'd, I'd love to know over time, but when you go to a place, you you start to learn about the significant personalities of a place. And this week, I was had the had the privilege of uh, attending a Bible conference over in Seattle, and I've been to Seattle a number of times, but haven't been to this particular church, Open Door Baptist Church in Linwood over there. And it was the same thing. As I got to ask them about their church, there were, there were names and, and people that they were talking about, founders and key, key leaders and different, different ones, and they talked about memories with them and talked about what they did and what they accomplished. And all of that is, is significant, isn't it, as we think about even the history of our, our nation. There was a particular guy there who was asking about Australia, and, and he had been reading a book about James Cook and and just talking about different personalities in, even in our history. And that's, that's, the, that's sort of how we sometimes describe years is, is with those that we sort of know, those experiences with people. And yet, if we were to really look down at the, 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 the history of, of church, and we could say, including in that, the history of our church, the key figure that we have to describe and we have to look to must be the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in reality, when all of those personalities and everyone that we can name, and even now as we look around, it's not that we've had great people and we have had some great people, and we have great people today. It's that we've had the greatest, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's Him that we've got to rejoice in. And if you recognize the reality of, of even the history of the world, it was really his arrival that changed everything for mankind. It was his arrival on the scene, uh, born of a virgin and coming in unlike anyone else that has ever come before him, coming into this, this world, he made all the difference. You know, he, he lived a perfect life. He, he, he did things that even the religious of the day would have looked at and said, that's not what we expected of him. And, and you think about the uniqueness of Jesus in history. There's, there's plenty of evidence uh, outside of, uh, of those that we read in the Bible of his existence and the difference he's made. We have some of the most, uh, some, some of the most important personalities in, in all of history referring to him and even those who would declare themselves enemies to his way would even go so far as to ascribe greatness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's no doubt in our minds, I hope this morning, 
the, the significance of the Lord and the significance of Jesus in what he has done. And, and yet when we read through his life, he, he wasn't always who people expected him to, to be. You know, he said things and did things that maybe in their estimation didn't add up to their expectation of a Messiah. The Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day in particular, they were frustrated by Jesus' declarations that he was God. And yet in the image that, because they wanted a certain image of what God should be. And if you know the context of history then, the, the Jews were under Roman rule and they had thought that, that this Messiah would come to be a mighty a political leader. They, they thought that he would be a king to lead them out of their, this administration of Roman rule. And they thought that he would come with the full judgment of the, the book of the law in which they based their faith on, but had so added to it that it was no longer what God himself had intended it to be. And so this time that we read here in this story was no different. Jesus' response here was indicative of his purpose in coming to earth. And that's, he came, that was to come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's to show that all needed it, including those that only saw others as needing to be saved. And we read this story and it's, a, it's an interesting story in, in several ways. It's interesting because this was, again, this was a surprise to the, the scribes and Pharisees. It's interesting because, again, the scribes and Pharisees, they were trying to use Jesus as a bit of an accessory to their own argument. And we're going to see that in a little while. And we see several, several different, uh, different characters in this story that we read. And, and yet what we see here is, is, is the most interesting in verse 6. Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. You imagine the, the God of the universe, and, and by the way, can I remind you this morning that, that the title King of Kings, Lord of Lords is only a, a, ever ascribed to one person, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. That's his title. And, and in fact, all of creation is ascribed to Jesus. He is the, the creative agent in which uh, when, when we look at creation, when God spoke the world in one word, it was actually at the... In, in, the, all of those things consist because of Jesus Christ. So imagine the creator God. Imagine him now, the king of kings, the lord of lords. He, he had an opportunity to respond here. And you know what he did? He, he stooped down. And he, he began to ride on the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a, I was a kid, I, we used to love going to the beach. And one of the things we did was, you know, we'd get some, some wet sand and we liked to ride. You know, maybe, maybe some, of, uh, some of you have done that. You're right, you know, maybe your latest crush, I love, I heart. And, you know, before anyone can see it, the wave comes through and you're relieved because mom was about to see that, you know. And you imagine Jesus there, he wasn't at a seashore. He was just on dirt. The very creative finger of God riding something on the ground. You imagine his finger getting dirty and dusty as he, wrote in response. And that's, that's, that was his response. And you know what we, we find was in that moment when the expectation was condemnation and judgment, actually Jesus showed mercy. And what we find there is, is, a, is mercy stooping down. Mercy responding unexpectedly in what seemed to be a 
an open and shut case. And I think that's what we're going to find as we look at and, and recognize perhaps what we have in this story. And so let's begin here and, and we, let's go again and l- let's look at a couple of verses. Look at verses 1 to 3. And the first thing we're going to see is, a, is a, the accusation. And Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And notice as that was happening, the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set their, and when they had set her in the midst, and so they had set her there. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And, and we see here that Jesus was in this area, the Mount of Olives. He spent a lot of time in and around Jerusalem. And two kilometers to the east of that, the Mount of Olives. And, and here really was central to his reputation as a, a powerful teacher, a great miracle worker. It was begun to be well known. And we find Jesus teaching here often and teaching those who were around. And so this was a typical scene. And yet in the middle of his address to the audience there, the scribes and Pharisees, they also arrived to the scene. And you imagine them, them bringing there with them being dragged before him was a woman they had accused of adultery. And so let's notice here in the accusation, we see the accusers. We see that the the scribes and Pharisees, that's who they were. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones who had especially had knowledge of the the law, the Tanakh. They understood uh, from from Moses' law the, 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 the kind of accusation they were, they were leveling on this woman. And the accusation came from these certain accusers and their source was the law of Moses. We see that in verse 5. Notice there. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? So they're saying, this is what the scriptures say. What do you say, Jesus? And the accusation came from these accusers and their source was the law of Moses. And and if we were to look at that, you know what? We would say they were correct in their assessment. But what happened was they treated the accused with all harshness in mind. And, you know, when we think about the law for us in the Ten Commandments, the, the Bible tells us about the law in Romans 4.15, because the law worketh wrath. For when a law is, there is no transgression. And, uh, the, Paul himself said, you know, I wouldn't have known I was coveting except the law told me. And so it's a revealer in its harshness, a revealer of the reality that the accusers were right to point the finger. The, the law renders the accused guilty. But what the, law, the, the, what the law proves is that we are incapable, really, of ma- meeting God's standard. You know what the law is? It's a summary of God's standard of things. And what the law proves, it proves that we can't meet it. It's impossible. It's impossible to meet the law. And that's why the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, even considering the Ten Commandments, a summary of all those, those uh, commandments in, in its uh, specific form there in those first five books of the Bible, when you summarize it in ten, the, the Ten Commandments, and if you were to compare yourself to that, I, I would hasten to say that all of us here would be guilty in front of that law. We've, we've, we've broken the law at least at one point. You know, one of, the, one of those is that, that we are uh, to not bear false witness. You know what that means? We're not to lie. 
And all of us here, if we're honest this morning, we would all admit we've told a lie at least once. Right? And if you're thinking in your head you've never done that, then you've just lied and now you're guilty. <laughs> all right? And, and we understand then that, that, that the law is there to actually show us how far short we've come to the glory of God. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a heavy thing to acknowledge. The Bible says in James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, is guilty of all. So actually, you could, you could meet 9 out of 10, but if you're guilty at one point, then the Bible is, is clear to tell us we've offended in all. We're guilty of all of it. And, and yet, that, that's not the, the most alarming thing about that. The most alarming thing is that the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And, you know, the wages is something that we earn, right? You go to work, you earn a wage, you get, you get something in return. And what the Bible's telling us is because of our sin, we'd, we've earned a penalty. We've earned something because of that. And because we're all sinners, the wages or the penalty of that is death. You ever wonder, you look around the world and all of the suffering and all of the, the, the death in, in different places. And, and you look around and you, we, we don't like to see that, do, do we? And yet the, the re- reality of that in our world is because sin entered into the world. The, the very first man and woman, they sinned and because of that sin entered in and the curse of death and the curse of all of that came about into our whole world and we're under that curse because of the, the reality of sin. And that's really what they were leveling at this woman. They, they were saying, look, Lord, she's a sinner. According to the law of Moses, she has sinned. And let's observe then the accused. There was a woman who was taken in adultery. We see here in this particular story that the woman, it was, she was unnamed. In fact, the, the summary of it all is that actually she is guilty according to the law. That, that according to it, the Bible does tell us in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife... Even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And that's, that's harsh, isn't it? That, that's, there's, there's, there's that, the harshness of the law is given there. But I want you to note again in Leviticus 20 verse 10, I know I read it quick, uh, quickly. Notice, and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife. You know, here's what I'm saying. The, the accused was rightly to be accused. But you know what? The accusers, they were right when it came to their accusation, but they weren't completely right. Because, you know, you notice that there was only one person that had dragged out there, even though she was caught in the act. You know what happened? They didn't drag the man out there. It was just the, the woman who was accused. They, they, were, they were sort of just looking at applying the law in, it, in a limited way. They, they were admitting that the law was right and good to, to follow, They were admitting that according to the law, this particular woman was guilty, but there were other guilty parties involved too. And what had happened was that they had brought this this woman thinking in their own way, this was a way to demonstrate whether Jesus was there to condemn the law or to fulfill the law. And so they only had half of the equation. The, The man who was also caught needed to be judged guilty as well. And the accused was bearing the brunt of all the sin and the corresponding judgment, and her accusers were all too willing uh, to allow that. But really the main point of this was 
to trap Jesus. And notice in, then the accessory in verse, verses 4 and 6. Notice the question was directed. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And then now Moses and the law commanded us that we should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And here the revealer, the Bible is a revealer of the intents of the heart. This they said. Notice they had, a, they had an agenda. Tempting him that they might have no, uh, to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his fingers wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So the, the, the whole reason why they even brought this woman out to, to accuse her and to, uh, to, to bring out the law and see what Jesus would do is really the accessory of all of this was to accuse Jesus himself. To see what he would do. To see if they would have any reason to then accuse him. And Jesus was approached really for his opinion on the matter, but it was, uh, it was really to entrap him. And the accusers, they were trying to use Jesus as a bit of a star witness in their trial and really so that he can be on the stand so that they can discredit him using his response. And in all of this, he was merely an accessory in this whole matter and yet the accusers were about to regret this because what we see next is not just the accusation, we see the answer. We see Jesus' answer in this whole thing. This they said tempting him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued accusing, asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And here's the point that they missed. You know, as, as Jesus was stooping down there, you imagine the, the impatience that these Pharisees began to have. They, they kept asking, What's, what are we supposed to do here? And he's just silently scribbling on the dirty ground. And then he finally stands up and he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And here's a point that Jesus was, was making in his response. He first came in silence. He answered them by stooping down. But then this answer that Jesus gives would, would have thrown the scribes and Pharisees for a loop. Why? They would have expected the, his mastery of the law to then suddenly condemn the woman. But actually he was helping them by reminding them that they were all sinners. You see, here's how we limit the law. Here's how we limit the, 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 the very standard of which God sometimes uh, uh, helps us to see is that we like to see everyone else guilty, but we forget we'll get, we're guilty ourselves. We, we look at the, the sins of mankind and, and, it's, and at times how heinous that is and we look how, how disgusted we are at certain sins that uh, others are caught in and yet the Bible's very careful to tell us we're all sinners. And that's what the Pharisees forgot. That's what the Pharisees, the religious of the day, they forgot as they were so willingly threw the woman before this, this, this rabbi, this master of the law. They forgot to recognize that they themselves were guilty before the law. That they themselves were, were just as guilty. And, and you see that the answer, this answer that Jesus gave, it showed patience. You see, in, in contrast, Jesus gave an answer of patience. You imagine there that he stooped down, he wrote with his finger on the ground as though he heard them not. So then when they continued asking him, they, they, he waited and waited. You know, as we think about the Lord Jesus, he, he didn't come to condemn the law, he came to fulfill it. He didn't come to deny it, 
But he also came with great patience for you and I. You know, you, you, in all reality, a holy God has every right to judge us immediately. You understand that the reality is, as soon as we have any knowledge of what is right and wrong, we understand before a holy God, we are guilty. And because He's a holy God and He is the ultimate authority over all of us, actually, according to Him, He has every right to judge us. But you know what He he does instead? He shows mercy instead. He shows patience. Hey, listen, if you woke up this morning, it's because of this. It's because of the Lord's mercies were not consumed. The, the reason why we have another day, the reason why this earth revolves for another, uh, another day around uh, the sun, as long as we uh, have another breath, it's all because of the mercy of God upon our lives. Listen, none of us deserve, according to the guilt before the, uh, the law, none of us deserve another chance. But you see Jesus stooping down and being patient, not quick to judge, not quick to just condemn He was just there riding with mercy. He gives an answer of patience. And those who were standing in accusation, they were ready for quick judgment. You know, isn't that like us sometimes? You know, we look around sometimes and we we, we gather the facts, so to speak. And sometimes we can be quick to just go ahead and shoot out a judgment. And yet, when we think about it, Jesus is so patient with us. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 145, verse 8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. And and, and sinners like us are indeed in the hands of an angry God. But what that same God is the same God that is patient and merciful to give us space to repent of our guilt. Listen, you you look around and you might wonder, well, when's the Lord's return? When is it that we're going to hear a trumpet sound? We're going to call up to heaven. And when is it that God will ultimately reap his vengeance? Listen, that'll, that'll be one day. But for now, we have a space of grace. For now, we have a country that, that is still longing for a, a, a great answer to man's ills. And listen, we could, we could uh, in, in many ways, write down many different answers to that. But the only one that will work is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will change man. And, and I want to tell you that every day is evidence of God's patience yet again. It's His patience. And that answer was an answer of patience. And yet, the answer also showed balance. You know, sometimes we think that, that God's delay means that he's, he's just ignored the guilt. But Jesus' delay didn't mean that He didn't see the guilt in the woman. Notice again his response. He says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. You know what he was acknowledging? This was sin, but we're all sinners. There's balance. In this answer, Jesus both affirms the law, but he also corrects the application of the law. He affirms it by acknowledging that it was indeed sin. He corrects, though, their application by helping them understand that they are just as guilty as the woman they accuse. The balance of the law is this. Not that there's more heinous sins, but that all have sinned. That's the balance of the law. That's the balance that that we ought to strike in in our hearts, that all, we all have an inability to meet that standard. 
We all have an inability to stand before a holy God and say, I've kept the law. That is the balance. And that's what Jesus was trying to drive at with them in Romans 3.19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. He's saying every argument will fail. Everything where you say, well, I'm a bit better than my neighbor. Well, you know, I didn't do that based on someone else's standard. And we might look at someone else and go, well, they're far worse than I am. And that might be true to your standard of things, but not to God's standard. To God's standard, we're all guilty before the law. We've all broken God's law at some point. And you know, the, the common argument at times when we, we talk to someone about their salvation is, well, I can't be that bad. You know, I know so-and-so, look what they did and look at them. They're in jail right now. And look at what they did. Imagine that. And you, you sort of look at all of that and every argument under the sun. And yet the, the reality is this. We've got to admit this morning that compared to the standard of God, we're all guilty. That's the balance. You see, the law just doesn't just assign guilt to some. It identifies the guilt of all. Why? Because of the impossibility to meet it. And that's why the Bible is, is very clear to declare in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. And the actuality of this, notice in verses 8 and 9, and Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he, he stands up, says, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. And again, he stooped down. So the Bible says he went down again. Mercy stoops down again. And we don't know what he actually wrote. But we do know this in verse 9. Notice there, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. They were convicted by their own conscience. And we can debate today what Jesus was actually writing. Some said that he wrote their names and he wrote their, their latest sin right next to it. Some said that, they, that he, he simply just wrote their names and started to to just quickly write down all of the sins of the last hour. Some say that he just started to write different sins and, and different things on the ground that, that reminded them and convicted them of the, the simple fact of, and we can debate all of that. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that conviction happened. What we do know is their conscience got to them because some, whatever he was writing convinced them that they were sinners too. Because... Can I show you again that no one actually cast a stone? No one actually admitted that they weren't sinners. All of them understood they were all sinners. And conviction is simply being convinced of something that is presented to us. That's what it is. We're convinced of an argument. Or we're convinced of, of a point of view. And the scribes and Pharisees in this story, they responded after Jesus is stooping again to ride on the ground and you don't think what they learned, the actuality of their condition. See, the statement Jesus made previously was, he that is without sin. And so when you pair that with the eventual reaction, I think it's revealing. They all walked away recognizing they were all sinners. And whatever Jesus wrote, it caused them to understand their true condition. They, 
came thinking that they were righteous in doing this, casting this woman to the ground, guilty of adultery. And then they ended up walking away, recognizing they were sinners themselves. And whatever Jesus wrote caused them to understand that. They, they thought they were more righteous than this sinner that was guilty before the law. But what they suddenly understood was their own guilt. And again, many have postulated what, but whatever he wrote, maybe he wrote their names, maybe that he wrote their sins on the ground, but whatever was written helped them understand their true condition. It helped them understand that they weren't righteous, but they were being self-righteous. Their walking away was a concession to their guilt, and, and we can, we can be like that at times. We, we can be like that one who beholds the moat in their brother's eye and they have a beam in their own. It's easier for us to point out other men's sins and not deal with our own. And, and I know that many times even those who would grow up in church can be especially susceptible to this. Sometimes in our, in our zealousness to uphold the, the, the righteousness of God, we can trick ourselves into thinking that we're righteous ourselves and we better be careful that might be just a bit of self-righteousness creeping in. And we better just understand then that we better just, just examine our own hearts about that. And, and the actuality of their condition, but then secondly, we see the actuality of their conscience. Being convicted by their own conscience. You know, their conscience was previously awakened to their true condition and their self-righteousness has caused them to become callous to their conscience. You know, the conscience is something that God gives us. It's that inner law written on our hearts. That's why there are those that, that would understand how wrong this is and how wrong the general things that we know to be wrong in the law who've never seen the law. That's why there's a, there's a general understanding in the deepest parts of this world anywhere that there's right or wrong. Because God has given us a law on our hearts, our conscience. And that conscience, it witnesses to the truth of God's law. And, and again, man's lack of response to God hardens his conscience to the truth of their condition. You know, we live in a world today that at times can become so mixed in what's right or wrong. It's become calloused. And what it needs is a reminder of the true condition of their lives. And yet, we see thirdly the actuality of their culpability. You know what? They went out one by one. And the Bible's specific here, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. You know, their, their response was one of guilt. It was affirming what Jesus already knew about them. And they're walking away in order of eldest to youngest. It gives clue, perhaps, to what Jesus wrote. You know, usually in that culture, the eldest was often the most respected in that culture. And it was significant that even the eldest, even the one that was most significant, even he admitted his guilt. And you know, we might look at society today and we might see those who are in the upper echelons of society. We might look at those who are in the, what we would might term the middle class and those who are in the it, it, uh, underneath that in socioeconomic terms. And, and I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what, where you fall in, that, in those categories. All of us, not, bar no one, is guilty before the Lord. The law. It, it, it's significant that they did that. The, the one with the, 
experience and renown. He was the one that headed away first. And again, that shows us the extent of their guilt. The best of them, we could say, was culpable. In Romans 5.20, the Bible tells us, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, and here's the great news, grace did much more abound. And what we find in verses 9 to 11 is we see the annulment. We see in verse 9, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went away. Notice the last bit, And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. You can imagine the surprise of this woman. Maybe she came along thinking, well, this is it. This is my last day here on earth. She knew the law, perhaps, and she knew the the penalty of that. And yet here she was before the God of the universe, the Lord Jesus himself. And it would have been a surprise to her to see all of those, her accusers, walking away. In fact, Jesus asks her later, where are those, your accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And her response, she said, no man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And we see the annulment. The woman and Jesus there are left there. And again, I want to emphasize not because she was guiltless. No, but because she was left to the one that could not only show her guilt, but also save her from her guilt. And that's the beauty of the Lord. Is that in His law, He'll show you your guilt before Him. But in his mercy, he'll show you how he has saved you. And the scene suddenly changes into this peaceful dialogue. The accusers, enraged with, 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 a, with an agenda to entrap, with the woman not, not, not in their own minds, not, uh, not at all caring about the consequences that would entail for her. Here Jesus and this woman was now left to dialogue, to converse. They were all gone. It was just Jesus and her. And those that condemned her were powerless as they were also guilty before the law of God. And we see the, the limitation of the law. See that the law, it can accuse and render one guilty, but it can't save. Listen, the, the, the law can't save you. You can do all you can, but the Bible tells us that we've come short. The Bible tells us it's for by grace that we're saved through faith and not not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, the law can accuse and render one guilty, but he can't save. He asks again in verse 10, Woman, where are those that thine accusers hath no man condemned thee? And the men came in the power of the law, and it indeed found the woman guilty. It condemned her, but it couldn't save her. It could only render her guilty. And so the Lord of the law comes, and she said, no man. And she says, Lord. Those words of of realization that this one stood in the gap between the penalty that she was so deservedly going to take and now the life that she suddenly had. She saw the Lord. And listen, I hope that there was a time where you saw the Lord, that you recognize that the Lord Jesus, he stood in the gap for you, guilty as you may be. I remember as a seven-year-old boy there understanding as my grandma sat down with me and 
she went through the, the scriptures and she showed me that I was guilty and she showed me that as a seven-year-old boy, I understood in my own heart what right and wrong was. I understood what it was to, to tell a lie. I understood what it was to, to dishonor my parents and you can ask them, their witnesses right here, how dishonoring I was. I understood that as a seven-year-old boy. But you know what? As guilty as I was, I'm so glad that my grandma, she showed me Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I remember as a seven-year-old boy calling out to God, saying, Lord, I'm guilty. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, please save me. And right there, Jesus saved me. And I'm so glad that at seven I understood it wasn't too high for a seven-year-old. It wasn't too much for uh, uh, someone who was uh, later on in their lives, my grandma, to understand. It, 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 it happens and it, it meets us at our point of need. And I'm telling you today, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's the one that you need to trust. This is not religiousness. That won't save you. It's not trying to be the best person or a good person because you'll fall short and that won't save you. Listen, the only way is Jesus. He says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, the Bible tells us for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In Matthew 5, 17, Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And what, what, what Jesus did was he stood in the gap. He, he laid down his life on the cross. And instead of us paying the penalty, he paid the penalty for us. He laid down willingly. He, he, he so loved us that he willingly laid down his life for us. And there he, he suffered the greatest torture. There the sin of all mankind was laid on him. And yet there he was bleeding on the cross of Calvary. All thinking about you and I today. Thinking about all of those that he came to save. And there he willingly laid down the, his life. Laid, he, 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 he gave up the ghost and was buried in the tomb three days and then in victory rose again the third day. Listen, to show that he has, he has victory over sin and death. And that's the Lord who stood in your place. And that's the Lord who stood between those accusers and those that the rest of her life, what the law could not do, Jesus came to do. Who fulfilled the law, he became the perfect sacrifice he became one that was worthy to pay the penalty in our place because he didn't have to pay his own and hence he was able and willing to pay for our sin and yet what he says to the woman was indicative she said he says there in in verse 11 says she said no man lord and jesus said unto her neither do i condemn thee go and sin no more listen there, there was a change in the woman's life she was a sinner, but she came away one that didn't need to sin anymore. The living of the law, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you're saved, the, 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 the glad day of that day that you got saved was this, you were forgiven of all your sins. 
past, present, future. You no longer, the Bible says that, that you no longer have to live in sin. And the woman was now forgiven and Jesus simply tells her, go and sin no more. And when we accept Christ as Savior, we're forgiven and then he gives us the ability to live a new law. It's the law of life and liberty in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And maybe you're here this morning and you're sensing the guilt that you have before a holy God. And you're looking at that list of Ten Commandments. You go, you know, I've not just broken one. I've broken all of them, Pastor. And I'm not sure how I can stand before a God of judgment. And I want to tell you that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you accept Him today, and if you look to Him for your salvation, it'll, like, it'll be like you've never sinned. Listen, you're a new creature. You, you, could, you could do all you want for, for good. You could do all you think you can do for all of humanity. That's not going to add up to the guilt that we have before God. Only one who never was guilty. And the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only that can wash your sins away. And listen, church. That's the joy that we have. See, in Christ Jesus, in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is that, therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And this is why Jesus came and gave himself on the cross so we can have new life in him. But then lastly, he says that he makes an announcement. Because in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, Jesus announces to those around, really, he's, uh, he's giving an invitation. He was such a contrast to the hopelessness of the Lord and the religiosity that was formed around it. And we understand, again, the law had its place to show sinners their sin. It couldn't save, but Jesus was different. In contrast, he could save. And I want to tell you how you can. Firstly, you've got to trust Him. You see, knowing that you're, you're, you're justifiably accused and guilty of sin, you must look to the light, the one that offers you hope. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible tells us in John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. And you just got to simply accept his invitation this morning. And the invitation is simply acknowledged by confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. The Bible simply says, thou shalt be saved. And I want to tell you, if there's never been a time where you, you've called on the Lord Jesus to save you, the Bible tells us the best day for that is today. Now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. There's no better time than today. And I want to implore you, please don't leave this place without knowing. Please don't, don't walk away with just the, the shadow and the burden of guilt. Go to the one that can overcome that. You need to turn to Jesus to save you. And I want to encourage you, if seven-year-old me could acknowledge and understand my guilt before God, then you're, where you're at right now, you can do that too. And I want to tell you that, that that'll be the best decision you'll ever made. You know who made the, the greatest difference in my life? 
I'm glad for my parents. I'm glad for my grandparents. I'm glad for the church. But the person who made the greatest change in my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came in, everything changed. Boy, I tell you what, I was seven years old and, and suddenly I was feeling the sense of, you know, what I was doing wrong. I was getting things right with my parents. I suddenly saw life and I saw it for what it was. I saw everything that was a, a, the greatest things that happened to me was because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't regret it. Listen, today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this place without knowing. And the, the, the great thing is this. He'll see that and there's going to be a rejoicing in heaven. And the fact is this, is mercy did stoop down for us. Mercy came because Jesus came to this earth. He willingly, he was born into this, this world of cursing. This world that just was broken. And he endured all of that for you and I. And then he endured the suffering of the cross. Why? Because he loved you so much. And listen, that's just, that's, 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 that's the God. That's the God who loved you. And I want to I tell you that mercy did stoop down. You know, it wasn't merely Jesus stooping on the ground to write. It was him coming to this earth, dying on the cross, paying for the penalty of our sins. You know what that is? That's mercy. It's not about doing all of the, the religious rites See, the Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of reg regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It was by His mercy He saved us. And your righteousness, it got, can't be compared to the perfection of the law. But that's not just true of one, that's true of all of us. And mercy, though, was offered by the only one who could offer, the only guiltless one, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you that offer is for you today. If I'm not Jesus and turn to him for your salvation, I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to complete, you know, 10 steps. I'm not asking you to, to do uh, anything more than to believe in what Jesus came to do. To believe in his work on the cross. And I'll tell you what, you'll be free from your guilt You'll be free from condemnation and you'll be free from the harshness of the penalty of sin. You see, all of us here, the reality is eternity is only a heartbeat away. And part of that penalty, if you don't, you don't acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, is the penalty of eternal death. You know what that is? Separation from God forever in a place called hell. And I know none of us like to hear about that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting with my seven-year-old, nearly seven-year-old. And you know what, what caused him to recognize he needs Jesus in his life? Was he realized there was a real hell. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of gnashing of teeth. It's a place of punishment. And I'll tell you what, just as much as Jesus is in the Bible, he teaches so much about the, the, this literal place called hell. And I'll tell you, I'm only saying that because we love you as a church and we don't want you to go there. Don't go, and you don't need to. You can, you can come. And the opposite of that is this, trusting Jesus and going to heaven, having your sins forgiven. And that's the, that's the, that's the kind of God I want to serve. And I hope that that will be the case today, that you would trust Jesus as your Savior. Let's, let's pray. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around.
I'm just going to have a time this morning, just a, a, what we call here in our church an invitation. And what this invitation is, is just, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and if you would respond just in the privacy of your seat there, no one's going to look at you, no one's going to look around. It'll just be between you, me, and God. And the piano is just going to begin to play if you would just listen closely. Really, today, we, all we did was speak about the gospel. And the gospel is simply the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reality that Jesus came to, to, to seek and to save you who are lost. And maybe as, as you heard about the, the guilt of this woman, you shared in that just the guilt of all of us as imperfect people. And maybe this morning you recognize firstly that you are indeed a sinner, you're guilty before God, and you simply need to get saved. I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, Pastor, that's me, I need to get saved. According to what you showed me in the Bible, I'm lost. I'm guilty before God, and I need to get saved. Is there anyone here? No one looking around. This is just between you, me, and God. Anyone here, just say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm lost. I'm not sure. I see those hands. 